Well, good morning, everyone. And today we complete our series on our logo. And for those of you who missed it, just a, a quick recap on what it's really all about. And we begin, can we have that spot on here? Whoever's got the, there we go. Just to begin with, this uh, is, what is this, everybody? It's the fish. It's what's sometimes called the ichthys fish. Ichthys is a Greek word for fish. If you take the letters, all the letters in the Greek word fish, you get Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And this was actually the very first symbol that was used by the early church to identify a believer. And uh, you may remember me saying that uh, if two people uh, were, were talking together, they didn't know each other, if one of them made, a, made part of the symbol of the fish in the sand, if the other guy completed it, then they would know that they were believers. And some of you may wonder, well, why do they do that? And it's simply because uh, the early church experienced extreme persecution, and you know we take that, that freedom that we have for granted. But in those days, it was very, very difficult to be a Christian, and if people found out about it, you actually risked your life. And so that was the very first symbol. Uh, some people have asked, why doesn't Cross Church use a cross for their logo? And, well, now you know um, part of the story. Uh, the, the fish represents the very first sign of, of a believer. You'll notice that it's in a circle, and that circle represents the world. And what you need to know is that this fish is in the world, but not of it. It speaks of the holiness that God has called us to. Holiness just simply means that we're separated for God, for God's use, for God's purposes. Uh, in that fish is a cross, and uh, you'll notice that, uh, the, that the vertical part of the cross is green. That represents life, and the Bible says that, that the road to life is narrow, and only if you find it. And so we're talking about, uh, about life and how Christianity is the source of life. In fact, you cannot read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation without recognizing the significance that life, um, that, that, that life holds for the believer. You'll notice also that, that the horizontal part of the cross is red. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. We talked about that uh, last week, about the atonement and how uh, we have been redeemed by Christ, that Jesus Christ purchased our souls and he died on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to die. Again, he brought us life. You'll notice also that this cross is actually on a slant. It's positioned. It's positioned for every believer to get under it and carry it. Because we said last week in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, that if you do not take up your cross, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. You actually take up your cross. And so all you have to do is just put your shoulder under that cross and away you go. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, the cross is actually a very uh, ancient symbol that, a symbol that predates Christianity. A lot of people don't know that. And so that's why we have chosen as our symbol the fish, the, the very first symbol of the early church. Today, as we complete, um, complete this series, you'll notice that at the center of the world is this, this square box, and that represents the church. I would say to you today that the church is the hope of the world. Now, we've got, a, we've got something for everybody today. It's actually a sticker. It's a logo. You can put that in your car. You can put that on your computer. Uh, you can put it anywhere you want. 
But what it is, is a, it's a, a simple reminder of who we are as believers. Now, what you and I need to understand is that, yes, Christians are called to do certain things. But before we talk about what you're supposed to do, we have to talk first about who you are. And you have to be clear about who you are. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You belong to the church. You are called, you are a people who take up your cross and follow Jesus. You are a people who have been redeemed by Christ. And by redeemed, I simply mean that Jesus has paid the price for your sin. In just a, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to start talking about what we need to do as believers. But first, we talk about who we are. And today, I want to talk about the fact that you and I are the church. That's who we are. The Bible is clear about that. In, in the book of uh, Peter, 1 Peter, it describes a church as, as a collection of stones. So in other words, if you're a believer, you are one of the stones in God's temple. And the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone of that temple and that God fills that temple. So here's the thing. You and I don't have to be in this building. You and I can have church anywhere because the Bible says that wherever two or more are gathered together in Jesus' name, He's there in the midst of them. So, you are the church. If you're a believer today, you are the church. What does this mean? Well, very simply this. Jesus has designated the church as the hope of the world. Can I tell you today, uh, there are all kinds of agencies out there that are trying to fight the great problems of the world. Uh, Bill Gates and, and Melinda Gates, their, their great battle is the battle against what? Against malaria. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, they've spent literally hundreds of millions of dollars uh, trying to, to eradicate malaria because they believe that will make the world a better place. And philanthropists have tried all sorts of things to try to make the world a better place. And we think more, more education will make the world a better place. And if we have got more jobs, that will make the world a better place. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that what will make the world a better place is if there are more churches. Now, I know that a lot of people in our world today have a very low opinion of the church. In fact, in the last 10 to 20 years, we've heard nothing but negative stuff about the church. In fact, the church is reviled at almost at every turn. I mean, even the cartoons on television, uh, the Family Guy, the Simpsons, even they will take pot shots at the church making the church look ridiculous, making the church look like it's, it's impotent, it's useless. But what I want to see happen today is I want us to, each and every one of us, develop a brand new love and appreciation for the house of God, for the church. My prayer is that you will love your church and you will understand the importance of your church. Now, let's take a look at what is the church. Let's try to answer that question. Well, first of all, the term church is actually an English term. It's actually not a, a, a biblical term, but it's, it, it, we understand what it means when we use that term. The actual word in Greek is the word congregation or assembly. It's, a, it's an assembly of people. It's a group of people. And what makes this group of people special, this group that we have now called the church, is that Jesus Christ is the common denominator. And so you can get people from all over the world together who speak different languages, but when they come together, they're family. And it, it, regardless of the color of your skin, where you come from, what your socioeconomic level is, uh, regardless of your education, regardless of your IQ, these things don't matter when it comes to the church or the family of God. We're all equal. 
Regardless of how good you are, how bad you are, how perfect you are, how imperfect you are, these are not the things that bind us together. What binds us together as a church is our regard for Christ. And so here's what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it says, now I say to you that you are Peter. Now this is Jesus speaking to his disciple Peter. You are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, to explain this, i got to give you a context. So Jesus is meeting together with his disciples, and he's been preaching, and he's been doing miracles. He's been, teach, he's been teaching and uh, doing some fantastic things. In fact, so great is the work that Jesus is doing, and so marvelous is his teaching, that people are beginning to guess at who he is. They're, they're, they're suggesting that, man, this is not just anyone. Some, Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, who, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people think that you're actually Elijah, come back to life, or come back, to, back from heaven. Some people think that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Different suggestions were offered. And finally, Jesus asked this question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, without missing a beat, says, well, it's clearly, it's clearly you are the anointed one. You're the one sent by God. You're the one that's been promised to us from the beginning of time. You're the ones that the prophets spoke about. You're the hope of the world, Jesus. You're the answer to everything that this world needs. And Jesus says now, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, here, I'm going to just tell you something, give you a little, little lesson here. Because the Roman Catholic Church says that, based on this scripture verse, that Peter is, in fact, the very first pope of the church. And we, we get from that uh, a, a theology that develops that says the pope is infallible and never makes mistakes. Well, if anybody has ever read any church history, or any history, you know that just because you got the name Pope doesn't mean you're infallible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We've got some pretty, pretty sketchy dudes over the past 2,000 years. Here's what we believe. We believe that it's not so much Peter, not, not so much upon Peter that God builds the church or that Jesus builds the church. But listen, it's upon the confession of Jesus Christ. It's the message of Jesus Christ it's on that message that God will build his church, and the Bible says that powers of hell will not conquer that church that proclaims Jesus Christ. Now, you look around, your, around the world right now, and you see that churches are dying everywhere. You'll see that churches, church numbers are dropping, that people are not going to church anymore in a lot of places. And I heard one preacher say, you know, the church is, is in danger of dying here in North America and I'm going to tell you that the church is not in danger of dying. It's utter nonsense. Because Jesus declares the powers of hell will not conquer it. What's the problem? Why are churches dying? Or maybe I should say, why are groups of people who call themselves a church dying? I'll tell you why. Because they've forgotten the message of Jesus Christ. Churches can, can preach and teach and do all kinds of things. But folks, listen to me. If they're not proclaiming Christ, if they are not teaching Christ, if they are not revealing Christ, 
then I'm going to tell you, quite frankly, they have ceased to have a reason to exist. This church is all about proclaiming Jesus Christ. More about that in just a moment. Now, I've got to give you a little theology lesson here. An ecclesiology lesson, if you will. That's the theological term. We understand that there are two descriptions of the church. The first description of the church is what we would call the universal church of Jesus Christ. Not to be confused with universalism and the universal whatever of God of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of cults that use that term universal. What we're talking about is is a collection of churches that believe in and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's where the term Catholic comes from. My, my wife, Gloria, was, uh, as a young girl, was with her parents, and they'd attended an Anglican church service, and one of the things they did in the Anglican church service was they uh, recite the Apostles' Creed, and part of it is, I believe, in the, in the Catholic church. And, and when it came to that part in the creed, in the little prayer book, Gloria watched her parents to see what they would do. And I'll tell you why. Because her father was a Pentecostal preacher. And, uh, and, you know, in those days, you know, Protestants and Catholics, they did not mix. So she watched her parents, and her parents actually, actually recited that part of the creed. And she was quite confused and maybe even a little horrified. Mom and Dad, have you converted on us? What, what happened here? Why would you say that you believe in the Catholic Church? And I'll tell you what Catholic means. It simply means in the, in the universal and the worldwide church of Jesus Christ. Not to be confused with Roman Catholic. It's a big difference. Now, don't anybody here think, oh, Pastor Allen's beating up on the, on the Roman Catholics. I'm not doing that. I'm just bringing clarity here so you understand what we're talking about. When we talk about church, when we talk about Catholic church, we talk about the universal church, we talk about the Roman Catholic church. What we're talking about is the work of God around the, around the world in which is now my second point, in the local church. What is the local church? Well, we're a, we are a local church. And we're looking at over 5 million, and I think 5 million is, is way underestimated. It's, it's far more than that. We're talking about local churches around the world that represent Jesus Christ to their community. And so what you and I need to understand is that our assembly, our local church, proclaims Jesus Christ as part of the calling that God has given us. That's who we are. That's what we do. In fact, there's a little church down the street. There's another church over on, on Kiwaitan, the Calvin Presbyterian, I think. And there's another church over on, uh, um, in, the, in the, a couple of churches, St. Thomas's. There was the United Church. There's a, another Catholic church, another Catholic church down the road. Churches everywhere. These are local churches called by God to proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The day that a church stops proclaiming Jesus Christ and stops presenting Jesus Christ as the answer, as the hope for this world, that's the day that church goes into decline and begins to die. So here's what I know for sure. I know that God wants more of these local assemblies. He would like to have as many local assemblies around as possible. God wants branch offices everywhere. You think UPS is great or FedEx. I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ 
does far more. You think McDonald's has got offices and restaurants everywhere. I'm telling you, the church beats McDonald's by a long shot. In fact, listen to this. The United Nations recognizes the unique position that the church is in. The United Nations, a secular organization that in no way pretends to support the church in any way, but they recognize the unique position that the church is in to minister to basically everybody around the globe because we literally have branch offices everywhere. In every town, in every city, in every village, in the, in the countryside, wherever you go, we've got branch offices Why does God want to do this? I'll tell you why, folks. It's because God wants to use the church as the instrument or the vehicle to bring his truth, his light, to a broken and hurting world. The church's job is to be witnesses of Christ, to proclaim truth that sets people free. This is what Jesus said. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. God wants to bring this hope, this light, to a dark, broken, and hurting world. Now, it's going to seem like I'm picking on the Catholics today, the Roman Catholics today, but I'm not. The Pope just did an interview, and one of the questions that he was asked is, what do you see as the greatest need in the world today? He said, I see two great needs. The first one is that... um, The young people are unemployed and they need jobs. And the second one is that uh, old people are very lonely and this is not good. I read that and I said, literally, I'm I'm speaking uh, to my computer where I read this. And I said, really? No, this is not the greatest need. This is a great need. In fact, you know, in all due respect to Pope Francis, I could list another hundred things that are problems in this world today. But I'm going to tell you what the core problem, what the root problem is. The root problem is is that people are lost. That people are feeling guilt and shame for their sin. That people do not have hope. They do not have direction. They're living in darkness. They're addicted. Their marriages are falling apart. Their families are falling apart. They can't hold down a job. They've got struggles. You can make the list as long as your arm and longer. You can't get it together. And here's here's the thing that you and I need to understand. That we can treat symptoms, and that's what the world is really good at doing. But that's not what the church does. We don't treat symptoms. We get right to the core of the problem. What is the real cause of our problems? And I'm going to tell you this. The real cause of your problems and my problems is that we have not yet learned what it means to surrender to Christ. When we surrender to Christ, when we do what Christ tells us to do, folks, I'm going to tell you, it literally changes your life. It transforms your life. And I could, t- I could sit here today and tell you of, of hundreds of people that I personally know whose lives have been transformed, whereas before they were in darkness and they were struggling and, and problems up to their eyeballs, now they've found their way out. Why? Because they started living the way God wanted them to live. Plain and simple as that. Some people think that God wants to reign on your parade, and you've heard me say that. God doesn't want to be a, a, party, a cosmic party pooper. 
He wants you to have a great life. He wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to have a great marriage and a great family life. He wants you to have a job, and he wants you to be fulfilled in your life. And he's got the answers. And we who have put our faith in Christ, God's anointed one, the one that Peter's talking about, we who have taken that step and have believed Christ, we have discovered that it's true. Now you think about the church for a moment. The church has been the leader in development for literally hundreds, and some would say thousands of years. Do you know that it, were, it was monks in the 5th and the 6th century that preserved European culture? That's right. Well, we had, we had invaders invading Europe. There were monks that were hidden away on, a, on an island in, just off the coast of England, and they were dutifully preserving the manuscripts and the books that represent our culture. While Rome and Greece was ransacked, there were monks that were faithfully preserving our heritage, our culture. It was the church who developed and produced the first scientists. Some people would say that science and faith are uh, opposed to each other, nothing further from the truth. It was the church that developed the first schools, the first universities. It was the church that taught people how to read and write. And social scientists have accused the church of, uh, of cultural genocide, going into, going into foreign lands to pagan people and destroying their culture. And really what they did is they transformed those cultures and brought prosperity to those cultures and raised the worth of women and children. You should do a study on it sometime. You'll find out what the truth is. But I'm going to tell you, there's a world out there that hates the church. And it's fueled by none other than that dark enemy we know and call Satan. He hates us. He wants to destroy us. There's a battle in the spiritual realm that many people are not aware of and don't understand. So here's what you need to know today is that Jesus Christ establishes his churches, builds his churches in this world today to bring hope, to bring light, to bring healing, to bring forgiveness of sin to broken and hurting people. I'll tell you, in centuries past, it, were, it was Christians that went to the prisons and ministered to the prisoners. Nobody else wanted anything to do with them. In fact, everybody else said they deserve to suffer. They deserve what the punishment they're receiving. But it was Christians who went and said, uh, but there's mercy. There's mercy from a loving God. That's Christians that did that. It was Christians that led the abolition of slavery. It was Christians that had been the conscience of the nations for all these centuries. Now, those are the, some of the great great stories. This is the great legacy of the church. But here's the thing with so many people that they forget is that it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. That is just the first signs of the greatness of the church. There's so much more to it that you need to know about. Has anybody ever heard of the Salvation Army? It was started as a movement for one purpose. Can anybody guess what it is? It's found in the name. It's not army. Okay, you guessed it. Brilliant. For salvation. What is the salvation we're talking about? We're talking about people being set free from their addictions, and that's really what it was. It was General Booth and his wife, Catherine Booth, 
seeing the terrible state of the lower classes, many addicted to alcohol, children being abused, wives being abused, and they couldn't stand it anymore. And General Booth, who describes himself as living on the edge of hell, went to the very poorest of the poor, and he went and brought to them a message that would set them free from all their pain and all their suffering and their addictions. That's what the Salvation Army was about when it was first established. Now listen to this. Back just a few years ago, I got, somebody told me that the Salvation Army Citadel in Kenora closed down, and maybe it's reopened, I don't know. A citadel, by the way, is just the Salvation Army's name for a church. I don't know why they call it that, but they use that army lingo. And they closed the citadel down, but they said, but the good news is this. We still have a thrift store. Now, I'm glad you laughed at that because you recognize how utterly ridiculous this is. We were not called to be thrift stores. We were called to bring salvation, to bring light, to bring truth to broken and hurting people. That's what the church is about. It's about, ready for this? And you've got to get this because if you don't understand this, you'll never understand the church. It's about establishing a right relationship to God and a right relationship with one another. That's what the church is about. The Bible describes the church as a family. Now, people have misconceptions about the, fam- about the church. They think the church is the place for, just for marriages, for funerals, for baptisms and baby dedications, and maybe you know come out Christmas to feel good and at Easter because it's the right thing to do. Besides which, you get new clothes at Easter, so what better place to show them off than at church? A lot of people have that low, low opinion of what church is all about. I'm going to tell you today, that's not what church is about. Church is not just a distribution center. There's a lot of churches that, that are, are depots, outposts of Winnipeg Harvest, and churches feel that they're really doing a great thing if they're making food available to the hungry. Okay, can I just say this? Don't anybody go away from here saying, Pastor John doesn't care about the hungry, doesn't care about the poor and the needy. I do. But that's not our primary calling. That's not our core objective. And someone's going to quote to me that Kenyan proverb that says that a hungry stomach is deaf ears. Okay, listen to me. Jesus clearly calls us to give a glass of water in Jesus' name, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry. Clearly, Matthew 25, it's there. In fact, Jesus gives stern warnings to those who do not do that. But that's not our core objective. Our core objective is to proclaim Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Upon that confession, upon that declaration, that proclamation that Jesus Christ is God's answer for this world, it's upon this that Jesus will establish his church. This is our core objective. Some people think that coming to church is just a place to get a pep talk. If you're coming here just to get a pep talk, well, you're going to get one occasionally, I hope. But that's not what you're here for. What you're here for, my friends, is first of all to hear the truth, but secondly, it's to connect with one another. In his interview, the Pope, and here I go again, I, I have to, to bring this in because it just came up at just exactly the time I'm pre- preaching on this. In his interview, the Pope used a metaphor for the church. 
that is often employed by the Eastern Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox. He called it a field hospital where the walking wounded can receive treatment. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. You're going to have a very difficult time finding that reference in the Bible. Because nowhere does the scripture describe the church as a field hospital. A field hospital was set up during battle so that those who were wounded in battle could receive some sort of uh, anesthesia, some sort of uh, painkiller, pain blocker, and that they could somehow mask the pain and do what they could to, to relieve some of the suffering. Can I tell you something? Relieving suffering is a great work. It's a good thing. But that's not our primary objective. Let me tell you what our primary objective is. And it's, it's found in the metaphors of scriptures, the actual metaphors that you will really find in the Bible. And so here they are. The church is often described as the bride of Christ. It's his church, his beloved church that he died for. That metaphor is used to describe the faithfulness that God is expecting from us towards Christ, to be faithful to him and to love him and to be loved by him. Notice that it's relationship. It's relationship with God. The other metaphor is the temple of God or God's house, and I mentioned that already. We are, we are the temple of God. Each of you is a stone. Look at that person beside you. Look like a stone to you. Well, the Bible says that if you're a believer, you're a stone in the house of God. Together, we build up the temple of God. And the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And then God fills that temple. So the fact of the matter is, folks, that when the day comes, when we are facing so much persecution that we can no longer meet in this building, do you think that's the end of church? No. No, in fact, in my opinion, I think we will see church like we've never seen it before. Right now, in China, there are literally millions and millions of what we would call house churches, where believers get together. They're not in a physical building like this, but they come together in the name of Jesus. And so we call them a church. Why do we call them a church? Because they are a group of people who put their faith in Jesus. The Bible says that where two or more are gathered together in Jesus' name, that Jesus is there. And that constitutes church. And this is why, folks, we don't see the building as anything more than just a building. There's nothing sacred or holy about the building. What makes this building sacred and holy is the fact that we as believers fill it. Jesus sees us as a body, as his body. This is how Paul describes us. Church is made up of many different members and parts that comprise one body. Now, can I just say this? My body is in relatively good working shape, and uh, here's what I know, is I would not want my heart to take a vacation for a few weeks. I would not want my kidneys to say, you know, we've been working pretty hard for the last 50 years. I think we're, we're entitled to a month or two off. What do you say? Or what happens if my eyes decide, you know what, uh, let's keep the eyelids shut for a while. We would rather not see for a while because we've been working so hard. I don't want my liver 
to go somewhere else. I want everything to be in good working order. I want all the parts of my body to show up for duty. You know what I'm talking about? Folks, that's the church. We are a collection of people who have a very special and important part in the body of Christ. We've got a job to do. And we need everybody to show up for duty. I had somebody complaining to me uh, recently. And they say, you know, I, just, I don't understand what's in it for me in this church. I said, pardon? Well, what, what, I want some men's fellowship. I said, well, you can come every Saturday to the men's fellowship. They fellowship with a hammer and a screwdriver and some drywall, vacuum cleaner. No, I want something for me. So what you're saying is you want the whole church to revolve around you so that you can be happy. Well, that's not what I mean. Yeah, that's what you mean. You see, the church is not a place where you just go shopping and get whatever you want. The church is a place where you fit in and use your special gifts, your special abilities to contribute to the whole. But you see, we live in a generation, in a day and an age, where it's all about what's in it for me. What do I get? What can I take? And for this reason, we see people shopping and going around from church to church to church. I go to this church for this, for this, for my youth ministry, and this church for children's ministry, and I go to this church for Sunday service, and this one for music. That's not the model of the church. In fact, the fourth one I want to share with you is that the church is a family. Now, you've heard me say this before. What would happen if I came home to my kids, to my wife one, one day, and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go and stay with another family for a month or two just to see what it's like. Well, I can tell you, Gloria would not be having that. And my kids would think I was nuts. Well, can I just remind you today that we are a family and we need you to show up to be part of the family. We need you to show up to contribute and be part of a healthy, growing family. Because in the context of the family, we will love you and you will be loved. We will care for you. We will, meet, we will try to meet your needs as you also try to meet our needs. You see... Most of us don't even know what a good, healthy family is because most of us come from such dysfunctional families. And for this reason, Jesus Christ establishes a church that is a functional, healthy family where you may not be able to get your needs met in the context of your family, but here, it's our prayer that your needs will be met. Some of you may know Matt Button. Matt Button has just gone to Bible school He's Nicholas's age. We've known Matt since he was in kindergarten. And Matt Button has been through some horrendous times. I can't even tell you the things that Matt has been through. But I can tell you that what he'd been through, he shouldn't have survived. In fact, he says today that if it weren't for his church family, and he's very careful to call it his family. If it were not for his family, he said, I'd be a drug addict. I would be a, a, just a basket case. It'd be a disaster. He says, I don't even know, Pastor Allen, if I'd even be alive today. But it was this family where he was loved and supported and cared for. It was in the context of this family that Matt Button grew up and survived and now is in Bible school so that God could use him to make a difference in the lives of others. Folks, that's the family. That's what church is all about. And I know there's so many more stories that I could tell you today. People here who found a healthy and happy family. That's what the church is all about. Now, I'm gonna tell you this. 
It's in the, in the context of a family that we're loved, that we're cared for, we find acceptance. Now, here's what a lot of people don't understand. Has anybody ever heard of Abraham Maslow, one of the great uh, social scientists? He suggests that the need to belong is a major source of human motivation. He thought that it was actually one of the eight basic human needs. The first one was a physiological need, the need to be healthy and survive. The second one, safety. And the third one, he said, was the need to belong. He says that after the very first two basic needs, which is you know, safety and physiological needs being met, he says the third, third great need is, in fact, the need to belong. Now, isn't it interesting that we look to him, Abraham Maslow was a great scientist, and we say, wow, that's amazing, that's wonderful. Can I just remind everybody that the Bible's been saying this for thousands of years? The social scientists are just catching up now. They're just figuring this stuff out. Social scientist Susan Fisk, in her book on social psychology, said, belongingness, there's a new word, belongingness is the human emotional need to be an accepted member of a group. It's one of your basic needs. She goes on to say this, the motive to belong is the need for strong, stable relationships with other people. She said that's, that's critical. It's core to, to who you are and what you need. This implies a relationship that is greater than simple acquaintance or familiarity. So in other words, we're not talking about just showing up for church on Sunday, saying, hi, how are you, and I'm on my way. We're talking about significant connection. She goes on to say, the need to belong is the need to give and receive affection from others. Now, I know some people say, I don't need affection. Don't hug me. Don't shake my hand. Don't feel comfortable with that. But the fact of the matter is, it's how we were created. It took a social scientist, Susan Fisk, to point this out. Again, something the Bible's been telling us for thousands of years. Now, whether it is a family, friends, co-workers, or a sports team, humans have an inherent desire to belong. And listen to this. This is, this is not from the Bible. This is from Susan Fisk, the social scientist. She says, we don't just have an inherent desire to belong, no, to be an important part of something greater than themselves. Isn't that interesting? So we have a need to belong, but even greater than that, not just a need to belong, but to be part of something that is greater than themselves. Folks, I can't describe, or I cannot come up with a better definition than this of what the church is. The church is all about a place where you can belong and do things that are far greater than you. And we talked about some of those things. We go to Burundi and we care for 78 orphans and we care for widows and their families. And we go to Zambia and we go to Costa Rica and, 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 and we care for people in our neighborhood and we invite the kids in from the community. What are we doing? We're being salt and light in this world. We're bringing hope and light to the darkness. And we're giving people a place to belong. That's what this church is about. It's a place for you to belong. I'm going to tell you this. If you're here today and you say, you know, I want to feel like I want to belong. I, I need to belong. I want to belong. I need you to come and talk to me so that I can help you. 
take that next step so that you can find your place in the family. Because this is a family. It's not just an institution where we go through our rituals and our routines in our liturgies. No, this is a family where we come together, where we connect heart to heart, and we connect with the heart of God. And together we encourage each other to go out and do the thing that God has called us to do. I'm going to tell you this. The church is an antidote to dysfunctional families. When I first became a youth pastor, I was, called, I was hired to be a youth pastor, but the problem was is that there were no youth. So it's pretty hard to be a youth pastor. You don't have any youth. There were, I think, probably maybe four or five. And here's, it was enough to squeeze into my citation. I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I drove a citation. In case you don't know what a citation is, it's, I think, one step up from a Chevette. Uh, it's got a hatchback in the back. It's great for piling kids in. And we did. But the suggestion made to me from various people was that, Alan, you know, your group is not big enough for you to do your own thing. Why don't you just load them into your car and bring them to other youth groups so they can have a nice, youthful experience? And I had that. In fact, the, per, the, the person who was there before me, I think that's what they did. Now, the advice was well-meaning. They meant well. But the problem is, is that they didn't really understand what God's plan is or God's purpose is for the church. You see, God did not call me to be a glorified babysitter of young people. That was not my job to pile kids into a car and take them from to event to event. To do that would be to not understand that the greatest need of every human being is a sense of belonging, relationship. So here's what I said. I said, you know, thank you for the advice, but I'm going to start holding church for youth. I'm going to start having my youth service. So there we were, the five of us, getting together. And here's what we did. We began to connect. We began to get to know each other. We began to have fun together. Rather than joining in other youth groups, we developed our own. And I'm going to tell you, it began to grow. Kids started to invite their friends. And they invited their friends. And they invited their friends' friends. The next thing you know, we had, I think, 60 to 80 kids. Probably 80 kids, which almost was, at that time, half the church. Doris and Dennis, you'll remember that. What was happening here? These kids were discovering what life was really all about and discovering who God was. They were experiencing their most basic needs being met. Folks, this is why we encourage everybody to get into a small group. This is why we encourage you to attend church every week. Because here's what I know. You miss one week, and it's easy to miss the second week. You miss three weeks, and there's a good chance you won't come back. And you'll feel guilty, and you think, well, how do I go back? If I show up at church, they're going to be mad at me. They're going to be looking down their nose. They're going to be judging me. Can I just tell everybody, if you've got that idea in your head, just drop that, because that's not us. Nobody's going to be judging you or condemning you or saying, where have you been? If we ask you where have you been, it's only because we care and we love you and we want you to feel the love and the warmth of this family. You need to be in church every week because this is the place where you're going to hear from God and you're going to connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what the church is. The Los Angeles Police Department was asked the question, 
Why do kids join gangs? Now, after everything I've just told you today, I think that you could probably answer that question yourself. But for those of you who are maybe a little slower on the uptake, I'm going to tell you. The reason kids join gangs, this is what the LAPD discovered, is first of all because kids are looking for identity and for recognition. Being part of a gang allows the gang member to achieve a level of status that he or she feels impossible outside of the gang culture. Folks, this is, what church is, this is what church is about. It's a place where you come and we recognize your worth. Your family may not recognize your worth, but we do. Your earthly family might not recognize your value and your gifts and your strengths and how precious you are, but we do. That's what the church is about. The second reason the kids join gangs is for fellowship and brotherhood. Interesting, isn't it? To the majority of gang members, the gang functions as an extension of the family and may provide companionship lacking in the gang member's home environment. And many older brothers and relatives belong or have belonged to the gang. Why do they do it? Because they want to feel that connection. They want to belong. That's what church is about. We're a group of people who belong to each other, that have a common goal. We have a mission that's far greater than us. And it's to go and bring this hope, this light, this help to a broken and hurting world. That's what Cross Church is about. And every time you look at that logo, you're going to be reminded at the center of it all is the church. And if you thought lowly of the church and you thought the church was not important, if you thought the church was, was uh, old and dried up, I'm going to tell you something, far, nothing further from the truth. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not conquer it. I'm going to just close with this. As a church, it's, it's one of the great and fun things that we do is go care for orphans and go care for widows and feed hungry people. We, we love doing that. It's fun to do. That's the fun stuff. That's the easy stuff. But the tough stuff is going beyond just a person's physiological needs, beyond just providing safety using Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a sense of belonging that people need. And that's what this church is about. That's who we are. We invite people into our family. We invite them. We, draw, we ask them, come join our family. Be part of us. Become part of our family so that you can feel the sense of love and belonging that your heart requires and desires. Come join us in a great, in a great adventure where we bring hope to the world. That's what this church is about. And this morning, if you've not made that step where you'd say, you know what, this is, this is my family. This is, this is where I belong. I'd invite you to seriously consider going, going to take it to the next step. Maybe it's time for you to become a member. Maybe it's time for you to start inviting your friends and family and friends from work to church. Because I can tell you, your family members, your workmates, your neighbors, they want what you have. And all they're waiting for is for you to invite them to come. Do you know what? We're, there's all sorts of ways where people are, we try to get people to come to church and tell them about Jesus. But you know what they say? The most effective way is for people inviting people. That's what it's all about.
Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, God, that we become, we become part of a great family. Your family, the family of God. We pray, Father, right now that you do a special work in our hearts. And help us to find our place within this family, prepared and willing to do whatever this family needs. God, I thank you right now that you've given us a safe place in this world. You've given us a place where there's hope, where there's light, there's freedom. God, there's a whole world out there looking for that. God, may we be faithful in bringing that good news to a broken and hurting world. And God, for those who are disenfranchised, disconnected, God, I pray they'd find their connection here, that they'd find the, the love that their hearts have been craving. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said it? Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, I'm glad you belong here.